everyone. You're listening to Intersections in Public Service, the Walden Cooper Center's podcast that takes a look at pressing issues in our community, how public servants address them, and what you can do to help. I'm your host, Claire Downey. In this episode, I will be talking with Kara Fitzgibbon, the new director of the Center for Survey Research. We discuss everything from survey methodology to research transparency, and even how survey organizations can be scammed. If you have ever used the internet, or made a 1-800 phone call, or even gone to school, chances are you have been asked to take a survey. Now, surveys, simply put, are questions that are asked to the general public about their thoughts and opinions. Those thoughts and opinions, once extracted, can be used in a variety of different ways by the company recording them. But the Center for Survey Research, also referred to as CSR, uses public opinion to help serve the public. So you are the director of CSR, which is Center for Survey Research. Would you be able to briefly tell me about what your job is and what CSR stands for and the work that you do there? Absolutely. So just more generally about CSR, we are a survey center and we're a fee charging unit of the university. We conduct surveys for clients and In terms of conducting the surveys, we're available to assist at any stage of the research process, anywhere from helping a client come up with their research question to developing and pre-testing the questionnaire, actually conducting the data, cleaning it and performing analysis, and also preparing reports and presentations. And our clients are generally local governments, uh, state agencies, community groups, nonprofits, and academic researchers. We provide a somewhat boutique survey experience, and we provide a really high-quality product. Most of the surveys we do, or basically all of them, are custom surveys, where we're tailoring the processes and the questions and who we're talking to for that particular client. Another important piece there is in questionnaire development of actually pre-testing your questionnaire. And that's something we also provide. We pre-test our questionnaires in a variety of ways. We can do focus groups, we can do cognitive interviews. And so we're actually going to the people Mm -hmm. that would be participating in the survey and getting their feedback and making sure that our assumptions and expectations are matching those individuals lived experience. So it's almost like a survey on a survey? (laughs) True, yes, yes. (laughs) So I guess going back a little bit, you were a research assistant at CSR before you became obviously the director. That's correct. And you had your PhD in sociology? That's right. How do you feel like your sociology background has played into working at CSR and how has that been helpful in working with surveys? Side note, sociology is defined as a study of the development, structure, and functioning of human society, as well as study of social problems. As you can imagine, this line of study could be very helpful when trying to work with the public. I would say even before speaking specifically to sociology, just the experience of the PhD and conducting a dissertation was invaluable in learning to conduct research. Even coming up with a research question It's really hard to then figuring out, all right, how do I collect data? How do I collect data within my means? To then, all right, you're in the great position of finally having data, but then to clean it and to learn how to make sense of it and how to tell a story 
that's also something that I think you just have to learn by doing. And then in terms of sociology specifically, sociology is a study of social institutions and social systems. So it absolutely speaks to then, I think surveys are a form of social research. Mm -hmm. So it absolutely informs then every stage of the research process because you do have to kind of put on the hat of someone else. You're trying to anticipate how is a participant going to read this question? What are the full range of experiences that we need to make sure we capture and the answer categories we give to a question? Sociology then also informs, all right, who needs to be part of your sample? Because if you're not talking to the people that are representative of your population, then you're not going to actually be able to effectively generalize your results. And in particular, so CSR is a unit of a public service center, many of our clients are interested in creating programs and policies that are impacting larger communities. And so it's really important to have at least an overview grasp of social structure and social inequalities and where those inequalities are rooted from, which groups are disadvantaged. It's important to keep that in mind from the research questions you're asking to how you're asking it, and then also when you're making sense of the results. So it's kind of giving numbers to these people and the needs that they have, being able to show that in like a statistical way, would you say? Yeah, and I think at least within sociology, quantitative analysis, which surveys produce, always had a kind of greater air of respect, this assumption of objectivity, you know, numbers can't lie. But the truth is, it's people interpreting the numbers and making sense and telling stories with them. And so, yes, two plus two is four, but in terms of what those numbers are representing and the experiences they're representing, it's really important that as you go into running those statistics, you're mindful of the theories that are informing them, the theories that ought to be considered when analyzing those results and interpreting them and presenting them. And so there's lots of subjectivity along the way. And mm -hmm. so you think to be a responsible researcher, you need to be mindful of all of that. So just kind of approaching it in a way that is non-biased, but also is giving voice to the people that are being represented. Absolutely. Yeah, it's paramount to our objective. These survey results, it should not be impacted whether it's me analyzing the results or you analyzing the results. Mm -hmm. And those findings need to yeah, reflect the people who took the survey. I decided to ask Kara how CSR is different from other survey organizations. She decided to contrast CSR with two big categories commercial surveys, DIY surveys, and then, of course, where the Center for Survey Research lies, academic surveys. Commercial surveys are for businesses that either want feedback on how they conduct their business or on the services or products that they are selling. DIY surveys, as the acronym suggests, is a do-it-yourself model, which means that anyone can create a DIY survey on anything that they choose using accessible web platforms. Basically, a DIY survey could be on anything and done by anyone which means the result quality could be extremely varied. When you're conducting a survey, at every stage of that research process, at every decision you make, there's potential to be introducing different types of error in your survey. So an example of that would be, let's say you want to do just a general population survey of 
Charlottesville. You then use the phone book as your sampling frame, and then you randomly select a thousand numbers from the phone book. You have a coverage error issue there because, for example, I live in Charlottesville. I'm pretty certain I don't have a number in the phone book because I don't have a landline. Right. And so even though I'm in the population, I wouldn't be captured from that sampling frame. Right. So you've now automatically eliminated people that are in your population based on that decision of your sampling frame. And that matters if there is a systematic kind of bias to that selection. Mm -hmm. And there probably is. Mm -hmm. Landlines are now being used mainly by older residents, maybe residents that have families, they've been in the area longer. Anyway, so... All of that is to say, when you have survey results, that's great that you collected responses. Mm -hmm. But if you aren't mindful of all of those sources of error, those results could actually be meaningless. And as survey methodologists, we're trained to understand and anticipate where those errors could come from. We have techniques to detect and maybe even resolve some of those sources of error. And we're able to write up the results recognizing where mm-hmm. were those different gaps. And so it's it's great for people to have the ability to create their own surveys, but there's something to be said for being trained and how to do it scientifically. In terms of how CSR as an academic uh, survey center is distinct than from some other corporate survey businesses, there is an expectation of objectivity. So yeah, so I'm wondering with like corporate surveys or corporate businesses mm-hmm. that make surveys, it's more to meet an ends than a means because they're giving it to a client. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm sure that you all have had clients that you've given results to that they were not happy with. However, you didn't mm-hmm. change your mm-hmm. methods in order to acquiesce to that. Yes. And a couple other points kind of stemming from that. I think the types of clients we have can be different. So We're at the university, certainly not all of our clients are also academic researchers, but a good chunk are, maybe a quarter to a third. And it matters to academic researchers. It matters when you're putting in for a national grant that you're working with a center that has that legacy of objectivity and expertise in survey methodology. So we offer that to clients where that's relevant. Additionally, being... I think both being academic and aligning with that objectivity, but also being a part of a public service center, there are also certain clients that we don't work with. So we don't do any sort of marketing research. We don't do political polling because we need to maintain that objectivity. Additionally, we've had clients who have gone and used those national corporate surveys, and they've ended up coming back to us because they want a more custom product, because they weren't happy with this generic questionnaire that's asked of everyone. And so there, there's a trade-off, though. Those corporate surveys can be less expensive, but like to tell clients, there's a trade-off between quality, so the product you're getting, between cost and time. Mm-hmm. And you usually can't have all three together. So this is kind of a good segue into my next question about what makes a good survey and what makes a bad survey? And is it that simple or is it more complex than that? So it, I mean, it goes back to the quality of the product. So a a good survey, kind of most simply, is that it's measuring what you intended and speaking to the population you intended. Typically, when someone's conducting a survey, they're not actually interested in the responses of the 
seven or 800 people who took the survey, though we're very grateful to those individuals. It's typically about being able to generalize to the population that those participants represent. Right. And so if you haven't properly designed your sample, if you haven't been mindful of who's going to participate and not, then you may actually not be able to generalize to your population. And in which case it's great, okay, I can tell you what these 800 people said, but Mm -hmm. chances are you actually care about what Almoral County as a whole thinks. If those two objectives aren't met, that you're not actually measuring the concepts you think you are and you're not actually talking to the people you think you are, then it's not a good survey, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That kind of reminds me of, you know, those like infomercials when they're like, nine out of 10 people say that this soap works yeah. so well. And mm-hmm. But do you really know who those 10 people are right. that they're, you know, talking about? Like maybe they all have the same skin condition or mm-hmm. maybe, you know, they're a very specific subset of the population and they're just kind of overgeneralizing in order to fulfill like a greater population like need. So that's kind of what I was thinking about while you were speaking to that. As it turns out, a bad survey isn't the only aspect that can yield poor results. Survey takers can give bad data, even if the survey itself is the best it can be. This includes the obvious, like lying when you're answering questions, but also being a speeder or a skipper. A speeder is someone who speeds through the answers in order to get through the survey quicker, and a skipper is someone who just simply skips questions. Luckily, CSR is able to detect the speeders and skippers through their online surveys, But nonetheless, these actions cause them to have to clean their data thoroughly. So if you don't want to give someone bad data, don't be a speeder or a skipper. So you have been working with CSR for how many years? Six or seven. Six or seven. Mm -hmm. So within your time here, how have you seen surveys change? Or the way that people take surveys change? Or maybe the methods that you all have been using? I have two Broad answers to that. One is in terms of the mode, so how we're collecting data, and then the other is how we recruit participants, and then how I think uh, participation has changed. So in terms of mode, so CSR has been around for 31 years. For the bulk of that time, we did phone surveys. That was really the bread and butter of what we did. And over time, that started to become prohibitively expensive. People just weren't picking up their phones. Fewer people were having landline phones to begin with. All right, fine, we switched to cell, but people aren't picking up their cell phones. I think it's a scam call. Yeah. Um, I don't pick up my phone if I don't recognize the number. And so it was getting harder to reach people by phone. So eventually we started to vary the way we collected data. So we also do paper surveys where we'll actually mail out to households. And that's really useful if you're doing let's say, a, a resident survey. The thing is, to do a mail, you have to have people's addresses and you have to have a reasonable way to construct your sample. So a mail-out doesn't work for every every population. It doesn't work for every survey you're doing. 10 to 15 years ago, we started doing more online surveys, and that has really become a, a widely used mode. And more than anything now, we do mixed-mode surveys where we'll do a combination of those Um, data collection methods. And then sometimes even we might only collect data through one mode, meaning we only collect responses just online or just in paper, but we'll still use these other contact methods to recruit. So even if we're doing an online survey, if we have addresses, we might still mail out an advanced letter 
because that postal mail letter will help give us a little bit of legitimacy and let people know, oh, we're going to be calling you, but it's us, you know, and here's why. And so we and then we'll still use calling as just maybe just for reminder calling. So we collect the data online. We email participants, invite them to take the survey. The other way, just actually in my time that I've seen kind of the survey process change a bit is in terms of participant response. Response rates are going down. It's getting hard to get people to take the survey. Why do you think that is? I think it's a, it's a couple different things. There's certainly some survey fatigue. And so that just means that people are, feel like they're inundated with invitations to take surveys. I think particularly when we do a survey of college students, we hear that feedback a lot because they're asked to take a lot of different surveys. Or even think um, as a consumer, you're probably asked to take surveys all the time. If you look at, the, at your grocery store receipt, there's usually at the end an invitation to go do a survey and tell them how you did. So just a lot of like consumer surveys are out there. People are tired <laughs> of taking surveys. So that's one. I think another is fair enough, a growing concern over being like having our phone calls. They think it's spam or that it's a scam to get your personal contact information. People are wary of their contact information being shared, and so they're nervous if they give it to us that we'll just go turn around and sell it somewhere. So just more distrust? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so whereas the, in the first case, people might recognize it as a survey, but they don't want to take a survey. Here in this other instance, is people not actually trusting us, not even letting us put our foot in the door. And then another area that I've more recently seen change for us is kind of uh, scams on us being on the receiving end. So where we now have to be mindful of bots and fraudulent responses to an online survey in order to get an incentive or a gift card. Um, I would have never thought of that on the other side. It's really recent. So we've been doing online surveys for, yeah, about 15 years and just like two weeks ago had a case where we were looking at our interim online responses and all of a sudden we had 500 plus responses with all exactly the same answers and routed through China even though this was a survey of Virginia and West Virginia. What is the point to that? What are they getting out of that? This survey had a $10 gift card for completing and so you have a bot set up to take it 500 times. Now, we don't automatically send gift cards. Mm -hmm. We have a manual step um, where we actually then send out the gift card. So they weren't sent. Yeah. (laughs) But then it's introduced different methods for kind of like security of how we collect responses. So now in all our online surveys, we're going to have those CAPTCHAs where you you know, have to identify the pictures with a stop sign and right. or something. Mm-hmm. Because again, it, it goes back to if you don't have quality data, you you can't be saying anything uh, yeah. meaningful. They're doing it for $5,000, but in reality, they're risking you giving information that's mm-hmm. false for something yeah. that could be really important. Exactly. There are stakes to the work we do, which is wonderful and a great responsibility, but it adds even more significance to the imperative of making sure the results you put out there are accurate and authentic. And you all pride yourself on being a very transparent department. 
So you all are a part of APOR, which is mm -hmm. American Association for Public Opinion Research. Mm -hmm. Could you explain what APOR is and why it's important for CSR to be affiliated with? APOR, is, as you kind of spelled out the acronym, it's an association for all of North America, any public opinion researchers to join. And so that includes survey centers, both academic and not. It also includes like political pollsters. It includes big think tanks. It includes marketing groups. For example, like Nielsen is part of APOR. So you have a huge range in the size and scope of the organizations involved, but we all have in common that we collect research to try and generalize what populations are thinking. And it's important for us to be involved for a couple reasons. One of them being that it's just a really great resource to learn about new techniques, learn about new problems that are coming up. I mean, as we just discussed, survey research has changed both big picture over the last decade or two in terms of how we contact respondents and collect data, but also even just in the last couple of weeks, things are changing for us mm -hmm. here. And so it's really important to be a part of those conversations and a part of that network to stay up to date on the most recent, but also kind of well-vetted survey techniques. Additionally, kind of you mentioned transparency. So we are charter members of the Transparency Initiative, which was created by APOR. The Transparency Initiative um, is intended to, as the name suggests, make survey or just more generally public opinion research data collection transparent, that we share how we collected the information, who we asked, who the sponsor was, what language it was conducted in, all of that, that we always then publicly share our methods reports at the end of each study, with mm -hmm. the idea being, uh, one, learning from one another, but also, if it's scientific, we ought to be able to replicate it. It needs to be reliable. So being part of the transparency initiative is being held responsible on mm -hmm. like a bigger kind of field, I guess? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, absolutely. Center for Survey Research has such an excellent reputation for conducting thorough surveys. I decided to ask Kara if there are any problems that CSR has encountered with trying to combat underrepresentation in their surveys, or if there is any hard-to-reach groups in the general population. We know there are certain subpopulations that aren't going to participate in our survey through our traditional modes. And there can also be distrust of the university. So in certain ways, being a part of a university helps our reputation. But for some subgroups that we're trying to reach out to, they're distrustful of the university. Hmm. And that's fine and that's fair. And there's a long history as to why that is. But that also means they don't want to talk to us. And so then if we're trying to work with a community group to put a program together, we need to make sure we're hearing from those people as well. And so using non-probability methods, we can uh, specifically kind of reach out to those groups kind of on their terms. An example of this is when we were trying to measure food insecurity in Louisa County in Virginia. And we were very underrepresented in our sample for Hispanic residents. And so we partnered with one of the Catholic churches in that area that had a high representation of Hispanic uh, members in their congregation. So we worked with the priest 
at that church to tell them what we were trying to do, tell them the mission, who we were working with, the types of questions we would ask. And we were able to get a handful more responses than from Hispanic individuals. Another way we can try and increase representation in our surveys is through having our surveys available in multiple languages. That's becoming increasingly important. And it's something that we've had to kind of push ourselves in terms of capacity, but we recognize how important it is. And even though it's it's more expensive, it's something that has to be done if we actually want to be hearing from everyone. If we want to increase representation, we have to be more flexible and creative in how we're reaching people. And so sometimes that can be community partnerships and going in person to talk to people and explain what we're doing. I thought that this was a really interesting example. So I asked Kara if she had any stories on how the Center for Survey Research has made an impact on the local level. A few years back, we used to semi-regularly do these omnibus surveys for the region. The Jefferson Area Community Survey is what we called it. We had questions about individuals' ability to swim. And so we were both asking the respondents about their ability to swim, as well as their children's. And... Results showed that there was a disparity in terms of ability to swim by race and by income, and that both carried over from parents to kids. Those findings actually informed and nudged the decision to open or build and open the Brooks Family YMCA on McIntyre Park, because that could then provide a community swimming pool where it would be more accessible for larger portion of the population. There could be swim lessons and classes. And so that was a case where that survey, those results, showed an inequity in our community and then led to a facility that could help kind of bridge or close that disparity a bit. So in general, why would you say that surveys are important? I feel like all the time I hear people talking about data-driven results and People want to make sure policies and programs are driven by data. And that's well and good, but then you have to have quality data. So surveys are a way to still hear people, to still listen to the voices of individuals and be able to generalize that and then have that inform government policies, have that inform what city council is doing the next day. I think surveys are vital as a means to actually capturing public sentiment. So it's all about finding data that greater serves the community in a way that reflects them, honestly. Yeah, and if it's not accurate, then it's not serving anyone. We have an objective and imperative to be doing research that is on the ground and it's applied and it's having an impact and improving the experience of the communities around us. These big picture questions and theories, on the one hand, might seem like they're achieving this public good, but they aren't actually reaching individuals in the same way that I think applied research can do. And so for us, it's about marrying the skills and techniques of the academic part to then apply those to make sure that really high quality product and data is actually used and heard and read and a part of then the people that gave their time and their energy and shared their experiences with us to answer the survey questions to begin with. Um, And that's something that we're increasingly being mindful of. 
Surveys are important because they give voice to the community. And I learned after talking with Kara, surveys are extremely important for informing decision makers on what the public needs. As she explains previously, people are becoming increasingly harder to reach and more distrustful of giving personal information. This is completely understandable since we all live in an era of identity theft and companies selling personal data like a commodity, but it's important to remember that there are still organizations out there that are actively trying to improve the community by using surveys. If you're a generally skeptical person, like myself, I would just recommend doing your research. Your survey answers could potentially help a much needed community center to be built or even a public pool for children to learn how to swim. Voting isn't the only way that your voice can be heard on the local level, so filling out a survey is one of the many ways that anyone can be a public servant.